Inomine Cinema e TV e Spiritus Streaming. Amen. Hello and welcome, Hollywood Faithful. I'm Jer Zamorthal. And I'm Megan Dane, and we are excited to be back this week with two new revenge stories. Courageous confessionals. I prefer revenge stories. Two new fantastic and shocking tales for you. <laughs> Fine. My pick today confirms that truth is really crazier than fiction. It's called Stranded, and it's a former PA's confession about a film shoot that turned out to be this weird sort of heart of darkness style journey into the wilderness. Huh. The one I picked is weirdly sort of like that, too. A journey into the urban jungle. It's called The List, about a CEO's paranoid bullshit and the confessor's quest for justice. I might be getting on board with your courageous confessionals thing. Maybe we should just go with that. Maybe we should start. (laughs) Okay, let's step into the confessional booth. Forgive me, Father, for I have worked for a producer who left me literally stranded in the wilderness. Tell us how it all began. Who were you when you first heard about this job? I originally went to school for something completely unrelated to the entertainment industry. I got a master's degree. I was living in like a million miles from Hollywood, trying to get a real job. And then the economy crashed and I couldn't find any kind of job anywhere. But during that time, I was desperately searching. I took an unpaid gig on a film set just to have something to do. And it was the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. Mm. I thought I was working 12-hour days for no money. I was just like, this is amazing. How did I not know that was a thing? This is what I'm going to do with my life. And so I started working unpaid gigs wherever I could get them. And trying to hustle up some money on the side, which is really quite exhausting. <laughs> and eventually, after probably about a year and a half of doing this, I got my first offer as a paid production assistant gig on an independent film that was filming in... That's the big time, isn't it? How did you feel about getting a shot at your first paid gig? I felt like I was finally getting somewhere. I'd been working unpaid jobs for a very long time, and at the time... It was very, very common for people to offer copy, credit, and meals, which meant that you were going to be working for an extended period of time for 12 or more hours a day in exchange for food, a DVD, or the finished production, a credit on IMDb, and nothing else. Yeah, uh, sadly, that is still a thing. (laughs) Wait, what? That was all there was in my area for a really long time. Copy credit meals. And I had to get, like, legitimate PA gigs on studio films, but there was no possibility of it. I didn't live in Los Angeles. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any experience. The closest I got was put up for a gig and somebody who was already working on a film and they said, no, thank you. We already have a female PA. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. So it had been a slog just trying to get to the bottom rung of the ladder. It's really fucking hard. Mm. So I like, yes, I finally made it to the bottom rung and I was excited about it, about the experience. I love working on film sets and I was excited to go out to this very exotic location. Tell me about the person who hired you. How did you get connected to them? Well, this is probably the first red flag. You know from the beginning, it's probably not going to turn out well if you find it on Craigslist. (laughs) (laughs) 
This is where I found it, in the gig section. But I was communicating with this guy by email. Everything seemed above board. He was a legitimate producer. He had some real credits. He talked about the director, who he was very excited about. This director had a real artistic vision. He was talking like he was going to bring me on as a member of the team, which made me feel really good. One thing people don't often talk about in regards to unemployment is how lonely it can be. So I was really excited to be a part of something. But then what happened? Well, for my first day, the producer gave me directions to the production office. But the thing is, the location was so remote that there wasn't any cell service. So all I had were his directions, and specifically he told me, don't Google this, you're gonna get to the wrong place, just follow my instructions. So I drove out by myself, and it was maybe a three hour drive, and I had to drive out after work that day. So I started down the path, and then it got dark, and I was in the middle of nowhere, and it turned out the directions were incorrect. Ugh. So I get lost, and there were no lights anywhere, no buildings. I'd basically been going down a windy road through forested mountains, so I didn't know what to do. And of course, I was panicking, because I was supposed to show up at the production office at a particular time. And if you're a PA on the bottom rung of the ladder, The last thing you want to do is tell people how you couldn't figure something out. It's your job to fix problems, figure things out, Mm -hmm. to know how to do things. So I was desperate to find this place. God, I can only imagine. So I kept driving, and eventually I saw some lights in the distance, and I said, let me drive towards that. I found my way through these winding roads to these lights, and lo and behold, it turned out to be the production office. At least, it was the address I had been given, but what it actually was, was a house. And there was an RV parked out front. The RV was packed full of people. There were crew people walking around. So I went up to some of the people in the RV and they said, no, this is for hair, makeup, and wardrobe. Production's in the house. So I go up to the house and I knock. And of course, no one answers. So I try the door and I go in and there are about 25 or 30 people packed into what I discover is a one bedroom house. Oh my God. The entire place reeks of pizza and marijuana. (laughs) I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm starting to get stressed. Somehow or another, I ask around, and somebody points me to the producer who hired me, very much to my relief. Seemed nice. He was a shorter man, bald, kind of hunched over a bit. So he had this sort of, I don't know how you describe his air. It was almost like he was afraid. Huh. And that was a bit disarming, because I felt like, okay, at least this guy isn't going to push me around. He seemed happy to see me. He was very apologetic for giving me wrong instructions. That put me a little more at ease. This guy doesn't sound so bad. Then he said, you have to meet everybody. But first, I want to introduce you to the director. Up until this point, he'd been talking about the director like he was some kind of visionary artist. So I was very nervous about going to meet this guy. The director, in my mind, was far more legitimate than anyone I've ever met. So I'm nervous and trying to think about how I'm going to go make a good impression. And then the producer takes me to the bedroom. Oh, God. This wave of marijuana smoke rolls out. It's so hazy, like my eyes are starting to burn. But I see this man wearing a robe, and he's lying in the middle of the bed, and he has a camera on his lap, and there are all these women laying around. I have to think they're actresses in the film because crew people dress a certain way, and these women were not dressed that way. They all had their hair and makeup done. They were clustered around him, and he was showing them his work. And the producer, again, had an apologetic air, like he knew this was weird, but he Hmm. was bringing me in anyway. So he was giving these awkward little laughs, introducing me to the director, couldn't give two shits less. (laughs) I mean, was wearing cargo pants and a baseball cap. 
He had zero interest in me, which was a good thing. But he was so high. He was like, Oh, very nice to meet you. And he spent a minute showing me stuff on his camera, and I was craning my neck to look, but standing as far away as possible, and then he dismissed me. Mm. So I gratefully retreated into the other room. The producer was kind of like, okay, you good? Good. And he went outside into the RV, where he was going to be spending the night, and I had to find a spot to sleep among the crew, who were all male and sleeping together in this one room. Since I was the only female, they let me have half the couch, even though I'd arrived last and someone else had claimed it. So I got half the couch, with my feet bumping up against the feet of this dude who had the other half, and everybody else had to sleep on the floor. Wow. Jesus. The next morning, we all got up at like 5 a.m. and grabbed breakfast bars and piled into a bunch of vehicles to go to set. I was in the vehicle with the director and producer. I don't know how it happened. It was very unusual for a PA to be riding with a producer and a director. I don't know why they picked me, but they did. So I end up in this car, and I think the producer was driving, and the director was riding shotgun, and I was sitting in the back. And we're going through these beautiful winding hills going to set. And again, everything relied on the verbal directions from the producer. That's how everybody was supposed to get there. And the director kept looking out the window and seeing these beautiful landscapes we were driving through. And he would be like, Stop, stop, stop. I have to shoot this. So we would jerk the car off the road, and he would jump out, and we were on a cliffside overlooking the ocean. And he's shooting these beautiful panoramas. And I'm sure it looked great. But in the process of doing all this, we got separated from the other vehicles. And as we were driving further into the mountains, the producer got concerned that because there was no cell service, people might get confused. They might not know which way to go. And he said, Okay, this is what we're going to do. You know how to get to set because I've told you how to get there. So I'm going to leave you here. And then when people go by, you can tell them which way they need to go. This didn't make any sense at all. And I even said it didn't make any sense. But he was the producer and he was going to be the one paying me. So he was like, no, no, it makes sense. They're going to drive right by you. It'll be fine. So then what happened? So I get out of the car on the side of the highway and they drive off. I'm just standing there and a very long time passes before I realize whatever the rest of the crew is, they are not coming. And now I'm stuck by myself on this highway in the mountains and it's cold and I'm hungry. I don't have any water. I don't have any cell service. I'm just waiting for somebody to come back and find me. Oh my God. Eight hours went by. The sun moved all the way from one side of the mountains to the other. I'd been hoping a police car or fire truck would drive by so I could flag them down and ask for help, but nobody did. I started to think maybe I should hitchhike, but I didn't know how to get back to the house where my car was, so I wouldn't know where to tell people to go. Finally, after all this time, I saw a car coming and it was the hair and makeup people. They did not recognize me, so they had no idea what was going on. (laughs) Oh no. But I managed to stop them and explain what had happened. So they let me into the car. They had a radio, like a walkie-talkie. They had already been to set and then left. So they radioed to set like, Um, we have the PA. What should we do with her? And I don't know if I remember this for real, or if I just made up this memory, but I feel like I can heal the producer saying something. Oh, shit. So we went to set, and when we got there, the man who had already had this apologetic air was just falling all over himself. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Like, he didn't know what to say. It was a very unusual power dynamic. Even though I was the lowest person on the low, he was so abject. I felt like the power was on my side. I was like, this fucking ridiculous. You left me out here for eight hours, and he's like, I know, 
I'm so sorry. There's no excuse for this. What can I do to make this better? He takes out a personal checkbook and he starts writing my name. And then he says, I'll give you $300 a day every day that you stay. I said, that's not enough. And he said, okay, 500. And I said, that's still not enough. I said, I want $1,000 a day. And it wasn't like my services were worth $1,000 a day. This was very clearly hush money. (laughs) So what happened? He wrote a check for $1,000 and he gave it to me and said, You know what? You did an amazing job today. Why don't you take the rest of the day off? (laughs) That's amazing. So somebody or other drove me back to the house where we stayed and I got in my car and left. Wow, good for you. And you were $1,000 richer. Well, so I hoped. Then I got home, and I deposited the check, and it bounced. Oh, man. Oh, my God. What did you do? Did you ever see him again? I tried contacting him, and he made excuses for a little while, and then he ghosted me. But about five years later, after I'd completely forgotten about it, the credit popped up on my IMDb. I never got my free copy, though. (laughs) (laughs) What, What would you do if you saw him again and there were no consequences? Oh, man. I think I would charm him into going out for drinks. I'd be like, oh God, do you remember me? I remember you. This was such a fun experience. He would have no clue. And then I would have the most wonderful night and keep ordering and ordering and then stick the fucker with the bill. Well said. Go in peace, my child. Hell yeah. Give me father for I have assisted someone who would take a homeless person's money if they let him. Tell me how it all began. I was fresh out of college and I was looking for my first job. I applied for a position at I got called in for an interview. I thought I was going to get my first full-time job. I thought I was going to be working 40 hours a week for a decent amount of money. I thought I was starting my life. So then what happened? What was your first day like? So, so I go to the address they give me. I'm in the middle of, which is a pretty rough part of town. The building had no signage on it. It's an industrial building with no sign. I found out later this was because the CEO is afraid of people stealing his ideas. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Tell me about it. I checked three or four times to make sure I was in the right place. And finally I go up to the door and it's locked. And so I had to ring the doorbell. I was like, Please, God, let this be legit. (laughs) I felt like someone was going to open the door, snatch me, and I would never get hurt from again. Oh, my God. I know. So what happened? When I got inside, it was a normal office building, and I interviewed with the CEO of the company. He was, like, kind of funny. Not funny looking, but he had a goofy presence about him. It felt like he was, like, eight feet tall or something. He was so tall. (laughs) He wore flannels and cargo shorts every day. Oh, wow. It was like we're back in the 90s or something. (laughs) (laughs) Growing up, I was always taught to wear a suit to an interview. So here I am in a suit with this giant in flannel and cargo shorts. (laughs) And so we had an interview where we talked. We figured out if we could be in the same room together. That's what an interview is, to me at least. And then he asked me multiple times if I had lied about the courses and certifications I had taken. (laughs) That's insane. I know. He gave me an actual test in the room. How did you feel when you got out? I mean, 
I felt decent about it because I had passed the test. And to me, that was the most important thing. It wasn't even, oh, did I do the interview well? It was kind of like, fuck this guy. I beat him at his game. <laughs> Whatever happened, I at least won. And did you win? Well, I got the job. But when the offer came in, it definitely was not what I applied and interviewed for. Um, I applied for a full-time position and they gave me an open-ended internship with pay far below what the market rate was. Hmm. If I had any self-esteem at all, I would have rejected it immediately. You know, I was just out of school. Mm -hmm. I was so scared and I wanted a job. I wanted that security. And you know, I took it. So how did it go? Initially it went pretty well. Everyone was nice, but my first project had nothing to do with what I was hired for and nothing to do with the internship. What I had to do was make a map of one of the buildings. One of the guys who was helping me do it straight up told me it was a test. He said, don't fuck it up. This is a test. You had to make a map of one of the buildings. Is that what you were hired to do? Yeah. Like I, I, I yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of want to say that I felt like I was like mapping a bank for a bank robbery or something. Yeah. Did you go to school for map making? <laughs> I mean, I should have. Maybe I would have been farther in my career. <laughs> Okay, so there was a reason. What they wanted was a floor plan because they were going to turn it into something else. Okay, so you created the floor plan. What happened after that? (laughs) Well, you know, I started learning the job. I started going about it. And I like to think of myself as a friendly person. And so I started making friends, slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. And I had two friends who I sat next to every day, which was awesome. And we had so much fun. You had fun in an office? (laughs) Strange, right? But the first red flag is, as I was talking to them, and they called all three of us into the conference room, they sat us down and they said, You're talking too much. You're distracting everyone around you and not getting your work done. I said, okay, you know what? I'm sorry. I'll do better. Then they moved my desk. What? They moved me from my seat with my friends to the back corner of the office, facing a concrete wall. So I went to my project managers to apologize because obviously something had happened where they had just felt the need to tell my boss about it. And when I went to talk to my project managers, not a single one of them thought that I was behind on my work. Each one of them was bewildered that I was apologizing. They had Hmm. no idea that somebody had complained? Yeah. I mean, I thought I was crazy. I thought maybe they just didn't like us talking. I thought maybe one of my friends maybe... said something and didn't want me sitting next to them, I really didn't know what to think. And that wasn't the only time he called me out for something in that manner. Hmm. One day I was on my phone scrolling for a new podcast because I would listen to podcasts while I was working. So he sees me on my phone and he takes me outside and he looks me in the eyes and he says, You have a disease. I was like, what? And he said, it's a phone addiction. And at that point, I didn't even know what to say. Like, what do you, what do you say to that? <laughs> I just apologized and went back to my desk. I mean, what do you do? Oh, wow. What a piece of work. So what was your relationship like with him going forward? Uh, Well, from that point forward, I was straight up scared of this guy. I felt like he was looking for a reason to fire me. Like, I was so young and I had never failed before. I was a straight-A student. So I was especially cognizant of the fact that he felt like I wasn't a good employee. Mm. I became extra self-conscious. I was like a puppy shaking around this guy. How long did that last? Ooh. Oy, oy, oy. So I'd been working at the company for two years. 
And I was just trying to figure out what to do next because I was already, you know, I was upset and I couldn't figure out how to make it better. And then one day they hired a new employee out of college, just like they hired me. And we became fast friends and we started hanging out after work, which made work so much more fun. I didn't feel so alone and isolated, even though my desk was still facing that giant concrete wall. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was really great for a little while until she told me what she was getting paid. What was she getting paid? She was already making the exact same amount that I was making. When I had struggled for two years to get to this point, and here she came in right out of college, right where I should have been when I got out of college. So what did you do when you found out? At this point, I was so angry and over the job, I figured I would just go talk to the CEO. If I didn't get what I wanted, I was going to quit. I had nothing to lose. So I sent him an email on a Monday. And I said, we need to talk about my future at this company. And he said, okay, we'll have a meeting on Friday. So the whole week, I'm, you know, getting all my things in order. I'm getting references from all the project managers of things I'd worked on. And I'm getting, like, a portfolio of jobs that I'd done. So armed with this knowledge, I came in to talk to him. And unbeknownst to me, he had been doing the same thing, but with my failures. (laughs) What? It was so messed up. I can't even, I can't even, you guys. It was so messed up. You've been making a list of your failures? Yeah, yeah. And, and, And here's the thing. He'd been checking it twice, just like Santa Claus, and checking it twice. And so I go in and I tell him, I want to be paid the market rate for an and I want to move desks. And if that's not possible, I'm going to start applying for jobs outside the company. And he said, what do you think the market rate is? And why do you think that you deserve that? Mm. So I went over the numbers and I told him how I calculated it. And I said, this is what I do for the company. This is what nobody else does. And then he came back and said, these are all the projects where you had fuck ups. And this is what it cost the company. <laughs> like, what an asshole. I know. And, you know, I was just so miserable. I could have quit on the spot, but I was so upset. So I just played my trump card. I said, well, if things don't work out, I want to let you know right now that I'm going to leave this company. How did he respond? He immediately folded. (laughs) By Monday, I had a 20% raise with a promise of scheduled raises from there on out. And I was able to move my desk out of his sight. (laughs) Like He barely bothered me again for the rest of the time that I worked there. Ta-da! We love a success story. Don't you really? (laughs) You found your value and you fought back. You have done well. Go in peace, my child. Okay, I have to admit it. I do like a good revenge story. Good revenge is hard to come by, especially when you're dealing with two parties that have such different levels of power. When all the power is on one side of the equation, how do you even score? You know, I think it has to do with recognizing your own power. Not to sound too much like an after-school special, but I mean, every person does have a voice. And as much as the industry and the world might tell you they don't want to hear your voice, that doesn't mean you have to be silent. Right. Like for the longest time, I would pick up on people's emotions and instinctively try to accommodate them. Like, oh, they don't want to hear this. I'll just be silent. Or, oh, this is what they actually want me to do. So I'll just do that. We've actually got a great confession coming up in a couple weeks on that very subject. One of my favorite titles ever resting smile face. (laughs) It's actually a real thing, okay? And I had to learn the same thing (laughs) that that confessor learned, which is that your value is not something that's given to you by other people based on how much you please them. It exists inside you separate from that. And when you figure that out, I mean, that's when you start finding your voice. 
This doesn't just go for people who are breaking into the industry, by the way. People who have been here a while also have a voice, and they can use it to set the score straight as well. Which is a great lead into this week's shout out. Uh, Last episode, we didn't do a shout out because we were kind of caught up worrying about this murder thing. (laughs) We're still (laughs) working on that. Uh, We will get you updates. But this week, I want to shout out a massively accomplished writer producer who is using his voice on Twitter to make Hollywood a happier place. That's David H. Steinberg. David H. Steinberg is known for a lot of amazing comedies. He wrote one of my favorite iconic high school movies, Slackers. And he also wrote Barely Legal, which, fun fact, you know what the original title was? No idea. After School Special. (laughs) That would have been a great title. David has also written for several TV series and most recently was creator and showrunner of Netflix series No Good Nick. How does he even have time for Twitter? I have no idea. David not only tweets positive and really helpful information for aspiring writers, but he actually makes himself available to people who are trying to figure out how to navigate their careers. Like I had a question once and David not only responded, but actually checked in with the union to verify and then came back and followed up with me. That's amazing. Yeah, and most of all, David organizes screenwriter meetups in the L.A. area. So for those who don't know, screenwriters, um, they they kind of don't hang. Like a screenwriter meetup is like a herd of unicorns. That's an unusually flattering portrayal of screenwriters. Yeah, I should probably work on that metaphor. But anyway, I'm just saying it's like a bunch of sort of odd beings who aren't used to being around each other and they're not super comfortable. But somehow David sets it up and it turns out to be fun and awesome and everyone goes away happier. We are introverts and we are proud. Thank you so much to David for making Hollywood a happier place. Listeners, if you're not following him already, do it at David H. Steinberg. And hey, follow us while you're at it. Twitter and Instagram at FessUpHollywood. Rate the show, review us. And if you've got a confession or a shout out to share, please hit us up. We'd love to hear all about it on The Hollywood Confessional. Until next time, create in peace, my children. The Hollywood Confessional is produced by Megan Dane and J.R. Zamorathal. Our cast for this episode... Jake Fiedler, Amy Baclini, Austin Windham, Christina Vasquez. Special effects provided by Zapsplat and Pixabay. Hollywood Confessional is a Ninth Way Media production. Follow us on socials at Fess Up Hollywood. 